And some others. Hello. I just want to say thanks for all your prayers. We're still praying for all of y'all. So, yes. Um, and then, you know, a couple people, Bud had surgery this week, right? And he's here, which is great. And Gregory had surgery this week, and he is here. So, and Rita is here. Haven't seen her in a little while. That's awesome, too. So, I love just celebrating the blessings that God has provided for us, right? So many people. He, has been, he is so faithful. Um, in case you haven't noticed, the slides are a little off. We're in the midst of a project. Did anybody notice that we switched sides? Yes. Yes, it was the first thing we noticed. So there will eventually be two, and they will be both larger, although they, it already looked better today, didn't it? Super clear, really crisp. So we're moving forward with that. Uh, we may or may not have slides today. We'll see for my sermon. So we might have to go old school. You might have to crack a Bible and read Scripture. You might have to, what? But if you have the app, the notes are already there, just so you know. Just saying. All right. So, are you ready? Did you notice the lights, too? We raised them um, and uh, changed the bulbs. You should thank Tom Losey and Scott Jackson for that. They are much brighter. And so, there's a lot of clapping going on this morning. So, all right. So, we are in the fifth week of a series called Graceful. It's a study of the book of Galatians. The first week, we talked about grace missing, the notions that, that over time, the people of Galatia had kind of adjusted the gospel. It had kind of slowly changed in its meaning, and it had become really no gospel at all because it was a mixture of law and grace rather than simply the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And then the next week, we talked about uh, grace redeeming, the idea that we don't always allow the grace of God to really reach deeply into our souls and tell us that we are redeemed, that those, our previous life and our previous baggage does not have to define where we're going next because we are redeemed in the Lord fully and completely, even if we can't quite forgive ourselves yet, He has. Yes? Yes. Then we talked about grace extending because the... Uh, the Galatians had a problem. They had a problem deciding who exactly the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was for. Was it just for people who already knew God, or was it for the world? And the answer is it's for, the, it's for everyone. Everyone who is willing to come to Him has that option, that grace available to Him, right, to that person. And then last week we talked about uh, grace surpassing, the idea that we must be willing to let go of our old identity in a lot of ways in order to reach the new identity that God has for us and not get caught up in the things that would hold us back. This week, Paul continues uh, to define the amazing power of grace by highlighting what happens and what you lose when you set it aside. We've talked about so much about understanding what grace is and who it's for and what it's about and how important it is, but Paul's going to spend this next 12 verses really kind of saying, look, I, I want to make this clear. You are losing something by setting grace aside. You are losing something in your own life, and you may not even realize you're losing it, okay? So we're going to jump right in because I have a lot to say today. So we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Okay? You need, that's Galatians 1. I need Galatians 5. I was like, that is not right. Hey, all right. 
There you go. Christ has liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm and do, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, tell you that if you get circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets circumcised that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For by the Spirit eagerly, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from faith. For in Christ Jesus, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who called you. A little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. In the Lord, I have confidence that you will not accept any other view, but whoever is, it is who is troubling you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also get themselves castrated. Yikes. Who saw that coming? Pretty strong words, right? Paul's got some pretty nasty things to say to those who would say to you, if you are sticking with laws, rules, traditions, rituals, your, your previous identity and def defining characters of what it meant to be the people of God, instead of owning and moving into the liberating or freeing piece of grace that God has offered us, that uh, he wishes horrible things upon you if you are leading people astray and down that road. should make us all pause. It's not a good thing, <laughs> right? Right? It's a bad thing. And Paul, Paul says there are essentially three, there, in, in this, this scripture, he gives us three things, three identities that you keep, even though you don't want to, if you are relying upon the law to save you or the law to be the defining character of your faith. Okay? The first is this. He says, you are a slave. In verse 1, he says, for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says that you are a slave to the law, that you have lost your freedom. This yoke he talks about, this wooden beam, right? You know how a yoke works? It's a wooden beam that moves between uh, two cows or two oxen is the general idea where they pull together. But what Paul is trying to tell you here is that, that this beam, it matters who you are yoked with because invariably you will be yoked with something. You will be yoked with somebody or something. He doesn't say, throw off your yoke and let there be no yoke. He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, specifically that yoke, that yoke of slavery. Because the fact is we are all all yoked to something. Charles Spurgeon says, men must wear some yoke. It is so naturally. There is no stage of life in which this is not the case. For those who are lost, they are yoked to sin. They are yoked to those things that will drag them away from God, that will, that will, that will teach them that there isn't a way that isn't of God that is perfectly fine, and that is not true. 
It will drag you into places you don't need to go and your soul is not meant to be. For the, the Judaizer in this case, or I would argue the legalist as well, it, it enslaves them to a yoke of a spiritual childhood. See, as you, as you grow up, you, you gain more freedom in your life, do you not? To make decisions and do things, right? As a two-year-old, as a two-year-old, everyone tells you exactly what to do, when to do, and how to do it. Now, if you've dealt with a two-year-old, do, do they like that? No, they're not interested in it. They don't want you to do that, but they still do need somebody to teach them everything they need to learn and to monitor every moment of their life, right? Because if you leave a two-year-old to his own devices, what's going to happen? Bad things. It's always worse when it's silent, right? When you hear nothing, something is going on, right? But as a child gets older, as they become three and four and five and six and seven and hopefully eventually teenager, you're able to leave them in, your, in the house for a few minutes. Some of you are going, not my teenager, right? <laughs> but you are. The reality is they become less attached to, especially mom, they become less attached to mom's hip. And mom is able to do some other things and gain a little bit, just a little bit of freedom. It's not total freedom, right? But a little bit of freedom in life as they get older as they move out of the home, because we hope to raise our kids in such a way that they leave. Who said leave? <laughs> that, they, that they, they go out upon their own and create their own life, right? We want them to do that. We consider that a success. But they have an opportunity and a freedom to do some more things on their own, to make their own choices. We don't always agree with their choices, but they make their own choices, right? To adhere to this yoke of slavery that Paul is talking about, to adhere to ritual, tradition, law as those things that define your faith, you're limiting yourself to a spiritual childhood where you're never really able to mature. You're never able to trust that the Holy Spirit will guide something because those, those boundaries, if those boundaries are your defining fact of your faith or the expression of your faith, then you're never able to grow up and move on your own. You're never able to, to listen to where the Holy Spirit might lead you because you feel comfort and safety and necessity in those rules. And if you depart from those rules, it makes you very nervous. Does that make sense? I think that happens to us often if you walk into a different church than this one and the church service is, is done differently, right? If it's different songs, if it's different order, if it's different preaching, right? It's different people. How's that feel? Different. The little awkward. Different. Thanks, Gregory. Appreciate it. It can feel... Are you sure you're feeling well enough to be here today? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It feels a little awkward because it steps outside what we expect. It steps outside what we're comfortable with. It steps outside what we consider to be the norm. But, but there's an opportunity when you go to a different church building to visit. I've had plenty of opportunity over the years to visit different churches and preach in different churches, be parts of different churches. Can I just tell you, they've all got their own personalities. 
And can I just tell you, there are blessings in each and every one of those personalities. There are amazing things that I've come to learn and see and express. I am far more expressive with my faith now than I ever used to be. I used to be, if I'm going to clap or raise my hands or something like that, somebody's going to look at me funny and because that's the church that I first found the Lord in. It was very, very quiet and very sincere and very reverent and very predictable and very this, that, and the other. And I didn't realize, I didn't realize that, that it was okay to wave your hands and clap and sing like Nina does all the time, right? Right? All the time. And Carol, we were watching you from the back today, and I had a couple people go, we love her. She's great because she's got that energy. I think that's awesome. If you ever have an opportunity to worship in a predominantly black church, oh, Spirit of God be moving in huge ways. It will lighten your soul. But that doesn't change the fact that when something departs from what we expect, it makes us uncomfortable. But really, should it? If we're a slave, and I use that word purposefully because Paul used it, if we are a slave to law, slave to rules, slave to ritual, slave to tradition, we miss out on where God might head next. And we miss out, honestly, on maturing in our faith. We miss out on an opportunity to grow in our capacity to trust the Lord in our capacity to hear, hear and feel the Holy Spirit move, and in our ability to see the Spirit of God working in others all around us. We lose out on that. So that's the first thing. He says that, that you will be, have a yoke of some sort, but you don't want that yoke to be tradition. You don't want that yoke to be sin. You want that yoke to be Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and 30, Jesus says, take up my yoke, right? So he doesn't just say, this is willy-nilly. If you've tossed off sin and tossed off rules, you can just go do whatever you want. He doesn't say that. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word easy can also mean kind or gracious. My yoke is is kind. My yoke is gracious. My yoke is forgiving. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus is the, the, the one yoke that you're going to carry in life that is going to pull not just with you, but maybe pull you when you need to be pulled. Sin will drag you backwards. The Judaizers experienced that the law will hold you down, but Jesus will carry you forward even when you can't carry yourself. And it's important for us to understand that. See, that when Jesus showed up, the Spirit of God moved in a way that they, nobody predicted. Why would we think He wouldn't continue to show up in ways we can't predict? He always has. God doesn't like being predictable. He really does not like everybody knowing what's coming next, mostly because I think we'll try to manipulate it. But... So this, the problem there for us is that we have a fear of freedom. There's actually a term for it. It's eleutherophobia, and you're going to have to trust me because it's not on the screen. That's what it says, eleutherophobia. It's a fear of freedom. Truth is, the people of uh, Moses' time had that same fear, right? As God is leading them through the desert, they kept turning around, or turning around and saying, can we go back? 
to slavery, right? Can we go back to slavery? Can we go back to what we know to be consistent, even though they beat on us, even though they make us work for them, even though they starve us, even though they rule over us? Can we go back to it? Why are we going back to it? Because we know what it is. It's a known quantity, right? There's actually a fear of, of expressing ourselves, a fear of, of finding freedom. Somehow We somehow think that's a, a short hop from freedom to anarchy, right? And it's, it's really, it really is not. It's a long way to go. <laughs> There's a lot of movement in here. Um, with, with many of us who are able to express ourselves in our faith, there are a huge number of people that feel like if they do something that stands out, People are going to look at them funny. There's a fear they're going to be judged for it. Can I just tell you that should not happen? That should not happen. It should not happen here or anywhere. This, there's, a, there's a fear that we have that if we step out of line, if we step out of what we know, if we step out of what's expected of us, that somehow we're going to be unholy. We're going to be... Um, judged. And, and yet, the Lord's pretty clear that, that your job is to be yoked with Him and go where He leads you, right? That may be to start a new ministry that nobody thinks can take off, right? That may be to scream hallelujah in the middle of a church service, even though everybody else will go, you may need to be the first that does that. Oh, did I say that? You, you have to be first. You have to lead. Oh, no. Hallelujah. <laughs> thank, thank you, Gregory. I appreciate that. It may be that because it's really amazing. I, I've talked to, um, I'm going to embarrass Brittany. Um, we had a, a difficult time getting kids to be willing to be part of the band. I asked and asked and asked, and they kept saying, no, no, no. And then Brittany comes along. And Brittany goes, yeah, I'll do it, right? Mostly because I think she didn't know any better, but that's okay. <laughs> she said, I'll do it. And the next thing you know, I said, hey, Riley, would you like to learn to play the cajon? That's the drum box she sits on. So technical term for it is cajon. See, they all know now. Riley's like, they don't know what a cajon is. That's what it is. Next thing I know, Riley wants to play the cajon. Awesome. And then we have what, a youth band that plays? Some Sundays now, that all happened because somebody was brave enough to step outside what was a normal expectation and say, if God wants me to do this, I'm going to do it, okay? I want you to know that we serve a God who is designed to carry you to new places. He wants you to go to new places in Him. He wants you to trust Him more, and you can't do that if you're submitting to a yoke of slavery, if you're stuck in where you are right now. Okay? So he says that those who hang on to this, these, these laws and these rituals are a slave. The thing he also says is that you are a debtor. You lose your wealth. In verse 2, it says, Christ will not benefit you at all. Some other translations say it will profit you nothing. The reality is that we, um, prior to knowing Christ, owe somebody a debt that we cannot repay. Right? But in, in, in the grace of Christ, we are able to find those debts repaid completely, right? But it's a bit like 
sticking to the law, submitting to the law, Christ will not benefit you all, it will profit you nothing, is to say, I want to return to spiritual bankruptcy anyways. Great, I've got Jesus, but I want to return to my life the way it was before or my understanding of the world the way it was before and try to fit Jesus into my context rather than myself into Jesus' desires for me. Okay, I saw an article this week that said something. It said, um, Jesus was not an American. Okay? That is utterly true. We have a tendency sometimes to act like he is, right? Doesn't he see and do and act and think exactly like we do? Wouldn't he defend our nation because it's our nation? He wouldn't. He would defend our nation if we were chasing after him, right? And I think it's important for us to remember because we, it's hard to divorce yourself from your community or your context or your upbringing, regardless of what that is. But we have a tendency to read qualities into Christ based on our lives rather than asking whether or not our lives fit Christ's qualities. Don't confuse your Americanness with your Christianity. They're not one and the same. They're really not. And it's really hard to make that distinction sometimes. Am I saying you shouldn't be proud to live in the United States? Not at all. Am I saying you shouldn't feel blessed to live in the United States? You absolutely should feel blessed to live in the United States. We are very, very blessed. Very blessed. Sometimes more than we know. Well, often more than we know or appreciate. Anybody who's done mission work in another continent like, I don't know, Hillary would probably tell you that financially, we are all pretty blessed, whether we realize it or not. But don't confuse that status as Americans with our status in the kingdom of heaven. Don't try to turn Christ into one of us instead of us into him. Make sense? Because to do so is to return to the spiritually bankrupt life we led before we had the grace of Christ. We're actually trying to lower what he can do for us to fit our expectations. Feels like a bad idea, right? Feels like a bad idea. The final piece is this, is the runner. You will lose your direction. It says in verse 7, you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? Paul loved athletics. We know that, right? Do you know the literal translation of this is something more along the lines is if you were, run, you were running well, who cut in on you so that you stopped obeying the truth? Who cut in on you so that you stopped obeying the truth? How many of you have ever run a race on a track? Right? Have you ever run a race on a track? Does everybody need to stay where? In there? You got to stay in your lane, right? It might be a song or a phrase or a meme or something that's Stay in your lane, bro, right? You have to stay in your lane. What happens if you're running a race and somebody swerves out of their lane and into yours? The same thing happens in a car when somebody swerves out of their lane and into yours. Bad stuff, right? Accidents, wrecks, damage on both sides usually. But I think it's important for us to understand, Paul is really condemning the Judaizers here in Galatia, in this, this scripture, for being that obstacle, 
for being people who are so worried about what other people are doing in their lanes that they're not able to stay in their own, right? One of the reasons that I struggle with driving, and my wife will tell, you, tell me to look at the road, is because I'll see something really pretty and I'll go, wow, right? And, and when I go, wow, where does the car go? The car, the car leaves its lane. That's problematic. I have a tendency to swerve off because I'm not paying attention to where I'm headed now. I'm now paying attention to some other distraction, right? Or in the case of Paul, when he's talking about a race, I'm paying more attention to the person running next to me than I am paying attention to the path God has me on. Do I pay more attention to them? In this case, the Galatians are going, well, this person is not doing this, this person is not doing that, this person is not doing, they're not holy enough, they're not showing up for church enough, they're not reading enough Bible, they're not doing this, they're not doing that, they don't sing, they don't... Really? These are your standards? Paul's telling him, stay in your lane. You, watching the path that God has for you, honestly, is probably about all you can handle. (laughs) right? If you're noticing somebody else's challenges or difficulties, my hope it would be, would be for you to yoke yourself with them and carry them along. It would not be to go, you stink. Man, you got to, ah, you're going to lose, right? (laughs) That's not the idea. If you're noticing somebody else's lane, the motivation needs to be love. The motivation needs to be a desire to help them stay up with you, or in better yet, push them ahead of you. My goal is to always push everybody ahead of me, because as far wherever you think I am, Jesus is way up higher, <laughs> right? And, and my job is to get you ahead of me. When somebody speaks back into my life spiritually, and it happens here all the time, Greg Culp's great for it, whether he knows it or not. Yet you are. He's a blessing to me. Man, that makes my heart sing because you're on a race just like I'm on a race. And you're pursuing God just like I'm pursuing God. And, and honestly, that encourages me to try to catch you. It doesn't harm me or hurt me or bother me. It encourages me to chase along with you so we can run together. Right? We have to be careful that if, if we're running our race, that we are remembering that, that we have our own race to run and that our connection to others' races is about encouraging them. It's not about saying their race, they're running a poor race and we're judging them or we're holding them back. Because that's what the Galatians did here. That's what the Judaizers are doing. They're creating stumbling blocks. They're getting in people's ways. They're keeping them from knowing the grace of Jesus Christ. So their mindset isn't just harming their own faith, it's harming the faith of others around them. That's a dangerous thing. Uh, Jesus made it very clear that to lead somebody astray, it would be better for them to have a cement block wrapped around their neck and be thrown in the river than to lead somebody else astray, one of the little ones astray. That kept me out of ministry a very long time because I don't, I don't want that. It's kind of like Paul and his, I hope you get castrated. I don't want that either. <laughs> there are things that I'm like, mm, 
got to think about this because I don't want that, right? Okay. Be careful that our desire to follow a standard, and I don't want to tell you that standards are bad. They're not bad. In fact, Warren Wearsby says, it's not wrong to have standards in the church, but we should never think that the standards will make anyone spiritual or that keeping of the standards is evidence of spirituality. We have to be careful about that. They have a role, right? They have a role in our identity and who we are and what we're about and where we're trying to head, and that's incredibly important, but it is not a litmus test. We make it that sometimes, almost inadvertently. Not on purpose, without thinking about it, we make it that. Please don't make it that. He changes from running to leavening, and he says a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in Matthew 16, saying this leaven, this, this influence that is not good, is a, he, he equated it to a corruption. Just a little bit corrupts the whole batch, right? It messes up the whole thing. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, equated it to the very sin of the church, the biggest sin of the church is returning to its, its, this legalistic perspective on what faith really is and mixing it with grace when the reality is that's not how this is supposed to work. So the thing about leaven is that it starts slowly. It starts in a very small batch, and, and it slowly permeates everything else around it until it eventually encapsulates everything. That's, that's what can happen with, in this case, the Judaizers, and in our case sometimes too, this legalistic kind of just, just rules and rituals-based faith, is it starts off feeling like a good thing. It's something we just added to give it some structure. Again, standards are great. Structure is great. But if, if we're not allowing grace to be the driver, if we're not allowing Jesus to be the driver, pretty soon those rules become our definition of faith rather than grace being our definition of faith. It, and it happens without us even knowing. It slowly over time happens. And that's when we turn around and people say, I, this, I, don't, I don't get this. I, 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 I walk into the church and I feel judged. I'm not saying that happens here. I'm just telling you that's the experience that people have. <coughs> or we can't change because if we change, we lose our identity completely. Can I just tell you that change is just part of life? Y'all know that, right? We know that. We know that change is just part of life. Change is life for the church, too. Um, the church looks very different now than it did 100 years ago, 50 years ago. Definitely different than it did in Jesus' time. And I'm fairly confident that a couple of lifetimes from now, it will look completely different. Than it does now. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? The church building in 200 years probably won't be here. It's really hard for us to divorce ourselves from it. Let us, our identity, not be temporary. Let our identity be the eternal grace of Jesus Christ and not things or stuff or even rituals, okay? That's who we're called to be. I think that's it. Anything else? I love you, Chuck. I love you. All right. All right. So, all right. Well, we end all of our services with a prayer time. So if you would stand up, because it's more 
uh, it's easier for people to leave, to walk around here, to have prayer if they would like. Uh, if everybody's standing up, it feels really awkward if you're the only one standing up when everybody's sitting down, because why? Because everybody just stares at you as you walk by. Okay? So, let's read off some public prayers. Uh, Patty Elliott has prayers for Billy, right? Uh, his nerves and his back, we want those to come back together, right? He's done with his radiation. He's done with his radiation, so now they can come back together, right? Yeah, but it takes a while for him to come back. Takes a, it does. It does take a while. So let's pray for that to continue to heal. Uh, Jan, your husband has surgery tomorrow for his prostate, correct? Okay, let's pray for him in that, that they find nothing, right? They clean it, fix it, done, have a nice day, right? That's what we're hoping for. Uh, Pauline Westlake let me know this morning that Daisy Anderson is back in the hospital. She fell and broke her hip. So she is at Mary Rutan. I got, I'll get it. I got, I got a whole bunch of Jacksons on my list. Yeah. yeah. Who got me? Oh, Diana got me that. Um, so yes, yeah, she's back in the hospital with a broken hip. She is at Mary Rutan. Uh, they're talking about surgery tomorrow. Okay. Um, Daisy's getting up there. A broken hip is, it's, and at this point, it's a question of whether or not her heart is strong enough to handle surgery. So she needs a lot of prayers and a lot of love. Uh, Dave Jackson is in the hospital for kidney stones. So please keep him in your prayers. Hillary Jackson had a pin pulled out of her ankle. Yes? 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 So hopefully her ankle's going to heal up because you need to be able to go to Hawaii, right, in a couple months? Priorities, right? You need to heal up so you can go to Hawaii. Uh, Ella Jackson is having a baby on Tuesday, we hope, right? Yeah, it's going to be induced. So we pray for all to go well and all to be healthy, right? We pray for that. Any other prayers? Who else do we have? Yes, Gary Hudson. My son-in-law, Jim Bradigan, okay. has been declared cancer-free now. Oh, praise God. That's amazing, isn't it? Check him every three months. Of course they are. This is a really good thing. So the, the main problem he's got now is the stroke that he's had. So. Okay. Praise God. Let's let him keep healing, right? Let God do, continue to do amazing things. Who else? Yes, Miss Klein. Yes. Yesterday, Leonard visited with Larry Cooper. Okay. It was be my ex-son-in-law. And um, he does need our prayers. There's definitely some problems there, but Leonard's just trying to let him talk and take it slow. Sure. So just please remember Larry Cooper in okay. your prayers. I would appreciate it. We can do that. Absolutely. And How are your I hearing aids doing? Fine. Good. I'm glad. Always. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. You go. <laughs> Amen. Brittany, you had your hand up. What you got? Somebody pass out? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Okay, Riverside is going to Washington, D.C. this week, right? So there are a number of our kids that are getting up at the crack of dawn or before, right? 4 a.m., are you happy about that, Stacy? No, I didn't think so. All right, but good. Let's pray for safety on their trip, right? Yes. That's okay. She's allowed to. It's church. It's okay. Okay. Uh, I bet your teachers also hope she doesn't pass out. So let's hope Lily doesn't pass. She won't have as much fun as she passes out. Is that what she said? Probably not. Let's pray for Lily on this trip to not pass out either. Yes. Anybody else? 
Yes. So, praises on the surgery. It went well. Yeah, praise God for that. Absolutely. I'm so glad you're there here. There were a few complications. It took four hours instead of one. I had a lot of scar tissue in there from when I had surgery as a baby, so they had to take all that out. He's just always difficult, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I try to be. But, uh, but uh, beyond that, there was another guy, an older gentleman, that had to come in for emergency surgery that day, which made my surgery delayed. I'd like to offer prayers for him. I don't know his name, you know, doctor-patient confidentiality, but he had about the same issues as me, but he's a lot older, so he might take a long time to heal. Right. So pray for him as well. Okay. I we think can... it was about 80s. So. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. All right. Jeez. Okay, we can pray God's for that. Yes, he is. God is a blessing. Is and pray blessing. for my breathing to get better. Yes. It's still kind of short. That's all right. It'll get there. Kind of like I am kind of short like me. Oh, my goodness. He does separate shows three times a week. Yes. Uh, Keith. Keith. He's been doing shots, but he's having reactions. Ooh, yuck. Okay. Okay, so we have to find a new medication for Keith. He's having an allergic reaction to the medication he's taking right now. Um, let's continue to pray for that and to pray for Deb, too, and the kids. And yes, Mr. Tillman, good to see you. Good to be here. I'm from Todd Brown, our son-in-law. has been on the list for quite a while. Yes. He's going to Cleveland Clinic, too, to try to find more help. Okay. What's his name again? Todd Brown. Todd Brown. Yep. Uh, the Tillman's son-in-law is going to Cleveland Clinic to try to get some more answers, right? Yes. Uh, praise. Praise. Kelly is finally on a healing. Uh, is her heel healing, we hope? Yes. You're, yay, Kelly's heel's on the mend. Good. Oh, good. Praise God. Praise God for that. Absolutely. Anybody else? All right. Well, let's, Holly uh, asked, called and asked me to make sure we pray for the troops because she's not going to be here today and that we pray for her on her trip to Toledo. And I said, okay, we will pray for you, okay? So I don't want to miss that. All right, let's close in prayer. Father God, we are thankful for your grace and for your strength. Please help us to not lean on our own understanding of where you would have us go, but on yours. Please allow us to let the Holy Spirit move and work and help us grow and become your people, your witnesses in the world, powered by you. God, you've heard our prayers today of those who are hurting and in need of healing. And you've also heard our praises of the amazing things that you are doing in people's lives to heal not just their bodies, but also their souls. Lord, we thank you for your strength. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace. And mostly, we thank you for the salvation that comes through your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.